Amen. Thank you. Uh, worship team, would you join me, Matthew chapter 3, one more time as we're making our way through the book of Matthew. I think we started first or second week in January. Here we are in March, averaging less than a month per chapter. That will not continue, by the way. Chapter 5 is coming, uh, and 6 and 7. We'll see what happens after that. Those are going to be slow this morning. Um, also today, guys, um, as I mentioned to someone, that we want to have a Bible sermon today and each week, and I, I hope this qualifies. You see the title, if you have your handout in front of you, The Baptisms of Jesus. It is baptisms, multiple baptisms. Uh, you'll see three in our text today, hopefully. And um, so we're going to have texts out of eight different books of the New Testament. Uh, and some, most of these we're going to do very quick hitters. We're going to have, this is our main text, Matthew 3, and we'll go very quickly in a moment over, over to a larger one in John chapter 1 that accompanies this. All that to say, so eight books of the Bible we're going to have references out of, and those eight books are these, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, and Ephesians. So most all the first books, and obviously not preaching all of them, but we're going to be hitting some things hopefully that correlate with Matthew 3. We've been in this for two weeks already. Today is the third. We've mainly been covering verses 1 through 12. Today we go further. But to do so, we need to back up to verse 5. Everybody with us? We ready? Got your Bible? You will want that open today. So there will be several times these verses will not be on the screen. And I want to, I want to say, hey, focus. Like really look at certain verses because we want to point out a word here and there that's key. So back, not on the screen, but back in verse 1, John the Baptist comes preaching repentance. Repentance means to have a thorough, deep, core change of your mind's thoughts, your mind's perceptions, disposition, even your purposes are affected by deep repentance, so much so that it will come out in the life, and we want to again emphasize the changed life, what John is going to call bearing fruit, that is not the repentance. The changed life is not the repentance. It's the evidence that there really was a changed mind. But if the mind is changed, there's automatically going to be a changed life. And anybody says, oh, yeah, I'm saved, I'm a Christian, but there was no changed life, forget it. You're fooling yourself. You're, just, you're, telling, you're playing a mind game. It's just not true. And so you'll see John as he preaches this message. Verse number 5, we'll read down to verse 17 this morning. This will be our text. So he's saying, repent, because the kingdom that the Jews have been looking for for 1,500 years, we could even say a couple thousand years, here comes this man of God, they haven't heard from God in 400 years from a prophet, here comes John the Baptist as the last Old Testament prophet, first New Testament prophet, saying the kingdom is here, it's time, verse 5, then Jerusalem, not everyone, but many people in the city, and all Judea, a region. And all the region about the Jordan. So east of Jerusalem, the eastern part of Judea. All these folks are coming out. Why? The Bible says they were going out to him, to John. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. Confessing their sins. The idea here is they're getting baptized. And while that's happening, the reason it's happening is they're confessing. Very public. Talked about that last week. We finished there. There's this public confession of sins. Apparently not just that I'm a sinner, but 
naming the sins. Wow. But when he, John, saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism. Oh, hey, it's great to have you guys. No. He said to them, you brood of vipers, you offspring of snakes, you poisonous vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Again, very authoritative, very bold, not politically correct though. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit. I think what John is saying here, I'm not buying it. Maybe what he's saying is some have gotten baptized, but your life hasn't changed. Or you're apparently thinking by getting wet, that's going to give you a little fire insurance against eternity. No. He says in verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Again, the changed life is not the repentance, but it will be evidence. And then to his Jewish audience, John says, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. In verses 10, 11, and 12, very sobering verses. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Trees are individual people. Every tree, this is Bible, every tree therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I, John says, I baptize you with water for repentance. The word for there means because of repentance. The baptism is not the repentance. I'll baptize you because of your repentance. It's the sign. But he who is coming after me, John's a pointer. It's not about John. He who is coming after me is mightier than I. Whose sandals, not only mightier in his power, he's mightier in his person. He's greater in his person. Whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. I can't even be his... It would be a... A huge honor to be his slave. To stoop down and take off his sandals and carry those and wash his feet. I'm not worthy to do that. Everyone looks up to John. John says, you don't understand this one that's coming. He, I baptize with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. The idea already. And he, again, the prophet's preaching. The man of God. The New Testament Matthew is writing the words of the apostle. I'm sorry, not the apostle, but the prophet. His winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. That's saved people. But the chaff, unsaved people. He will burn with unquenchable fire. So we've talked on those verses. Now five or six new verses. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, to John. We have all these prepositions. From Galilee to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him. The idea he did everything in his power to to stop this. John would have prevented him saying, the idea here is like more than once, An ongoing discussion. I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. Let it be so. I need to be baptized by you. You're coming to me? Let it be so. 
now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. What Matthew means is he then baptized Christ. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately, so it's past it now, immediately he went up from the water. You picture he's leaving. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, literally torn apart. The heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. It does not mean that a bird came down. I don't know what this fully means, but it was like a dove in the method The Spirit of God. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on Him. The idea of resting, staying, remaining on Jesus. And that's not all, not only this visual. And behold, a voice from heaven said, there are no outside speakers, there's no PA system. A voice from heaven, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So that'll be our text today. We'll notice three things, three baptisms that we just read about. We'll spend the majority of our time in the first one. It's verses 13 to 17. If you want to write it down, we're going to look at Jesus' baptism with water by John. Very simple, very simple approach. Jesus' baptism with water by John. We just read our text But I'm going to tell you guys, we have to immediately keep going. I know I just read a lengthy text. I'm going to read a little bit longer one because it correlates with this. And it's in John chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, John chapter 1. And we're going to read, I don't know, 16 verses, 15, 16 verses here. John chapter 1, verse number 19. So if I can uh, kind of go ahead and set the stage. The first part of the verses that we're going to read are happening before what we read in Matthew and then the last five or six verses are going to happen after what we read in Matthew. So what we're getting ready to read here in John is bookending what we read in Matthew. So just keep going, all right? So this sheds more light on Matthew. We have details that he didn't cover. Verse 19, John 1. Here we go. And this is the testimony of John. So here's the testimony of John the Baptist. So John the disciple is writing the gospel of John about John the Baptist, not the same person. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him. So priests, Levites in Jerusalem are sent, being sent out by a group of people, going to be told in a minute, the Pharisees, go check this guy out. Something major is happening over there by the River Jordan. People are going out there. Go see if it's legit. Interview, question, grill him. So verse number 19 finishes. They asked him, who are you? Who are you? The idea here is, what is all this? We've been sent to ask you some questions. Can we have a little bit of time? Sure, you can have my time. Absolutely. Fire away. Who are you? And then verse 20. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. You're not the Christ? Are you the Christ? I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? 
the last book of what we call the Old Testament, their Bible. Again, this was their day. They hadn't heard from God in a while from a prophet. Nothing new has been written that is authoritative, inspired by God. But they had this passage in Malachi that says, before the kingdom comes, there's going to be Elijah's going to reappear. Are you Elijah? Is that what this is? He said, I'm not. Nope, I'm not Elijah. I'm not the Christ. Are you the prophet? So Moses, back in Deuteronomy, says we're to expect this great prophet, not just a normal one, this higher prophet that's like him in a lot of ways. I mean, the real person who speaks from God, like Moses received the law, this person's going to speak for God to the people. Are you that prophet? Are you that prophet? And he answered, no. No, no, and no. So they ask him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? If you're not the Christ, you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet, who are you? He said, and I like to think of it this way, don't let me harm the scriptures, this is not in the scriptures. Me? I'm the voice. Not the show. I'm the voice. Literally, John is going to say, I'm the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 40. He said, I am, you want to know who I am? I am the voice of one crying, shouting in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Get prepared. The king is coming. Get, his, get the roads ready. Fill in the holes. Build up the, the low spots. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him. So here's the next question. You're not him. You're not that. You're not that. Next question is pretty, pretty clear. It's pretty obvious. Then why are you baptizing? You're baptizing Jews out here. Baptism's for Gentiles. Gentiles want to become the people of God. We baptize them. It's very humiliating. Who are you? What are you doing out here? Baptizing Jews. Why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? What they're really saying is, where do you get off doing these things? Where's your authority coming from? John answered them, I baptize with water. Here it comes. This is key. But among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So that is the idea tying before and leading into what we've read in Matthew. Now verse 29 is after he has baptized Christ. Watch verse number 29. So I want us to get the time frame here. The next day. This is after the baptism. The next day, he, John, saw Jesus coming toward him. you got a picture. He sees Jesus coming. And he said, behold, this is a different audience, I believe. Maybe not the same people. Whoever this is, I don't know how many are around him. But he says, look, everybody look. There he is. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Like I said last week, we've been bringing our lambs of sacrifices to God for 1,500 years, the Jews would say. John is saying this is God's lamb who's not just covering sin. This is God's lamb who's going to take away the sin, not just to the Jews, but of the world, anyone who wants to get in on it. Behold, the lamb, there he is, the lamb of God. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. He was before you. Aren't you like older than him by six months? No, you're missing the point. He was before me. He is eternal is what John is saying. Verse 31. This is some technical stuff I'm going to go to in a second. I'm going to allude to. So try to really get it. Ask the Lord to speak to you. Verse 31. John says, I myself did not know him. I didn't know him. But for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John says, John the disciple says of John Baptist, and John bore witness, quote, 
I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. Why is that important? I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me. So here's God says to John, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. The one you see the Spirit come on him and remain on him. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I, John says, I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So there's a lot. Catch the picture out of John, put together with Matthew. John is being grilled. Are you the Christ? Oh, no, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Christ. Are you Elijah? No, I'm not Elijah. Are you the prophet? Oh, no, I'm not him. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the prophet. But listen, he's here. What? Oh, he's here. You mean like here? Like this week? Oh, he's here today. You're saying the one we've been looking for is going to be here today? I'm telling you, he's here right now. What do you say? By the way, you bumped into him a while ago. What? I'm making that up, but I'm filling in a little bit. <laughs> you, you, you bumped into, I just bumped into 20 people. Yeah, I saw you bump into the king, though. The Christ, the very son of God. Which one is he? And then he lets them know the next day. It's that one. Now, here's what throws me a little bit. Apparently, so I'm putting it together. We're going to get technical a few times today. Apparently, John knows the Messiah is present, and he knows he will soon be made clear to him, and it's his job to announce, but he doesn't know officially who the Messiah is until after the baptism. I think, again, I wouldn't die for this thought, but I believe John suspects it is Jesus But he will not know it for sure until after the baptism. And then God makes it clear because the baptism will be the revealing event. Now here's the thing. John doesn't know that baptism is going to be the revealing event. Here's the strange thing. John is out baptizing people as a sign of their repentance, of their sin. And lo and behold, here comes Jesus in the water and says, I need to be baptized by you. And this really throws John out of whack. He has no concept. This has to happen. And Jesus is very... Straightforward about it. So that, as we make our way back to verse 13 of Matthew chapter 3, if you'll go back there. Matthew 13, Jesus comes to be baptized, and then we have these other four verses. And and again, I'm not going to tear each phrase apart. Rather, I just want to give a dynamic of each verse, because verse 14 has its own thought. 15, 16, 17, each has its own thought. Under this idea of Jesus' baptism... With water by John the Baptist. Here's the four thoughts in verses 13, verses 14 to 17. Did you catch it? Number one, John resisted. So the reason I read John chapter 1 a while ago is for this. Watch, hear it first. John resisted. Why? John is not fully aware that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed, the Messiah. And then this other title he's going to get later on, he sure isn't expecting that. The Son of God. He's not aware of that until after the baptism. So here's what throws me this week as I'm reading this. So he doesn't know exactly officially who Jesus is. He doesn't have the title. And yet here comes Jesus to be baptized. I would ask John, then why are you resisting his baptism? If you don't know yet that he is the Christ, the Son of God, the King, then why are you resisting? He doesn't know. So that tells me something. There's something about the presence 
of Jesus that is so powerful that when John comes into his presence, everyone looks up to John as the man of God, but the man of God realizes in the presence of true greatness, though he doesn't yet know for sure the title or the, the breadth of the titles, there's just something powerful about the presence of Christ. I understand that Jesus lived in Nazareth and people didn't understand it. But when a person is in tune with God and comes in the presence of God in the person of Jesus Christ, something is going on here and he's like resisting. I can't baptize you. It's like this thought. Jesus, I got some Sadducees and I have some Pharisees and I think I baptized a few that really didn't need to be baptized and there's some that are wanting and I'm not going to do it because their life doesn't matter. They're not worthy of this baptism. But Jesus, this baptism of water is not worthy of you. They're not worthy of this baptism. This baptism is not worthy of you. Why would you come to my baptism if you are who I think you are? You're going to baptize people with the Holy Spirit. I'm just baptizing people with water. This is symbolic. You're going to give the reality. You don't need to repent of sins. This is a baptism of repentance. Why are you coming to me? Probably not as animated as I just got, but there's a strong disagreement going on right here. No, I'm not, I don't need to do this. This is wrong. You baptize me. Sometimes God calls us to do things that we don't understand. I said last week that the really good singer recognizes the great singer. And here the man of God, the true man of God, none greater born of women, Jesus says, than John the Baptist. But John the Baptist, now he recognizes true greatness. This is true greatness, and that's Jesus. And he doesn't even have the full title of who he is yet. Just something about the presence of Christ. Second thought we find in verse 15. So John resisted, but Jesus insisted. John resisted. Jesus insisted. Jesus has come 70 miles from Nazareth, specifically. Another book of the Bible says not just Galilee. He came from Nazareth down to this part, the best they can estimate, 70-some miles. Let, let this sink in. Maybe by himself, Jesus is making his way 70 miles. Where are you going? Well, i got to head down south. And he goes down there and he makes his way to John. Jesus is coming to be baptized, and John is going to resist baptizing Christ. Now, here's the problem. John's baptism is of everyone else as a sign of confession of sin. It's a sign of repentance, a new way of thinking. My sin is much worse than I think it is. I am not good enough, even though they're Jewish, I'm not good enough to go to heaven as I am. I need a Savior. So here's the problem. John's baptism represents this outward expression of confession. But Jesus has no sin Jesus, let this sink in. He doesn't need a Savior. Jesus knows He is the Savior. He knows He has no sin. He knows He's the Savior. So why is He insisting on this baptism? These three thoughts I'm going to give you are some of the most important parts of this message. So I'm going to offer three, and frankly, I'm going to build. I'm going to try to build on what I believe to be the reason. And John would probably say, why are you so insistent? Why is this so important? Number one. Why does Jesus insist? I think what he's doing here in this baptism, by the way, it's not really clear in the text. All we know is he says we have to fulfill this righteousness, all righteousness. It's fitting for us. So I want to offer number one reason why Jesus insists on baptism by John is as an endorsement of John's ministry. So please let that sink in. This is an endorsement of John's ministry. 
By being baptized himself, Jesus is in essence saying, I am validating all that you have been doing. Here's what it means. People do need to repent. People need to repent, change their mind toward their sin. It's far worse than they think. They need to repent about their view of themselves. They're not good enough to go to heaven. And they need to repent and have this attitude. They are in need of a Savior. Yes, keep it up. People need to repent. People need to confess their sins. John, you're exactly right. People need to confess their sins. Furthermore, yes, people do need to get baptized. Furthermore, people need to have fruit. They have to have a changed life. John, keep it up. Your message is accurate. You're exactly right. He's endorsing the ministry of John the Baptist by allowing John to baptize him. So here's my question before I give you the second possible reason. Did anyone notice? Did you catch verse 5 and 6? John's baptizing people as they're confessing their sins. Was anybody paying attention at this point to notice two things that happen unique here? This one that he just baptized did not confess his sins. He doesn't have any sins to confess. And the second thing is, John doesn't correct it. Everybody who's getting baptized is confessing their sin. Baptism is a sign of their confession. It's an outward expression of their confession of being a sinner. This one here didn't do that. You think he just made a mistake? No, no, no. It would be a mistake for Jesus to confess sin because he doesn't have any. Second thought, very important. Jesus, why are you insisting? Not only is it an endorsement of John's ministry, it's an act of association. It's an act of association. Watch. We could do this in several ways. How can we put mankind into two groups? I'm going to give you one. Very clear. Watch. So we have people who are sinners, who have sinned. And then we have those who have not sinned. Y'all know who goes in the two groups, right? Every person who's ever been born, that's us. And then this one person, Jesus, is over here all by himself. He's the only human being who's never committed any sin. So why are you getting baptized? Because Jesus is going to leave his place and go associate with sinners. He's going to go link himself with sinners. This is important. He's not a sinner, but he's going to go in there and get baptized just like sinners need to be baptized. I want you to take the note and then we'll try to give a quick reference to describe it. Jesus is linking himself as though he's a sinner. He's making a union between him and sinners that's going to be important. And we picture it every time we do baptism here, and it's this. He's going to change the view. Watch, watch. These people would view baptism in water as being a sign of cleansing. Jesus is going to allow for that, but he's changing the whole narrative. It's not just baptism a sign of cleansing. It's him associating with sinners and going through something, even illustrating it, understanding there's an allusion to cleansing, but now there's going to be a greater illustration of his death, Stop breathing, his burial under the water, in the water of Jordan, and his resurrection. Jesus is associating, he's not just endorsing John's ministry, he's associating with sinners when he doesn't need to, but he's going to get in there with us and go through what we have to go through. We're all going to die, and Jesus is saying, I'm going to die too, but my death, not only am I linking with you, I'm going to allow you to link with me. Go if you would. Luke chapter 12, I told you we'll be in a few places. We're going to have one quick verse, or if you just want to see it on the screen, it's fine as well. Luke, I said chapter 2, uh, I meant chapter 12 if I didn't say that. Luke chapter 12, look at verse number 50. And you don't have to go home and study this out. But this is later, obviously. 
Luke 12, 50, Jesus says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. I have a baptism. He's already been baptized in water. Now he's referring symbolically, I have a baptism to be baptized with. It's coming. This thing has been shadowing over his life the whole time. He knows why he's here. And how great is my distress until it, this baptism, is accomplished. What is it? Now, I really would like you say I didn't go to the Luke one. Go, if you would, Romans chapter 6. We usually refer to this whenever we do a, a baptism around here. Romans chapter 6. It says, do you well to hopefully see this? Pull it up on your phone, tablet, your leather and paper Bible like I have. Romans chapter 6. So there's this discussion. Do you know that the more we sin, the more glory is given to God's grace to forgive all of our sin and let people like us into heaven? Can God really do that? Oh, yes. His grace is so powerful. There is no sin he cannot forgive. The only sin that he doesn't forgive is that of unbelief. The unbelief that just refuses to acknowledge that Jesus is the one way to heaven and that he's the Lord. That, that's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says Jesus is the Christ, Son of God, the only way to heaven, the only Savior. He is the Lord. And to blaspheme is to say, Spirit, you're lying. I don't believe what you're saying about Jesus. He can forgive anything. So some people hear Paul's message and say, well, then if more glory, more sin, then I guess we need to do more sin. Paul says, oh no, Christians can't just go out and have more and more sin to give more glory to God and His grace. We can't do it because we've died to sin. When did we die to sin? Look at verse 3. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Do you not know? So this is difficult, but I think it ties back to what Jesus is doing at the baptism. He's picturing this. Do you not know? On the other side now, Paul, the apostle, is writing theologically about our union. How Christ came and linked himself to us and allows us to link ourselves to him. Do So Christian, hear this this morning. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, baptized means to be immersed, to be placed into, all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus, he's a real person, you're put in him. Do you not know that we were baptized into his death? Death, last word of verse 6, key, I have it underlined in my Bible. Verse 4, we were buried, therefore, because we're in him, we're linked with him. He is associated with us. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So I've underlined these words in verses 3 and 4, his death, we were buried because he was buried, and then he is raised Raised from the dead by the glory of the Father that we too might walk in newness of life. For, so here's this link and this unity that he's done with us. This association with sinners. For if we have been united with him in a death like his. If we've been united with him in a death like his. How? By faith. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So guys, I want to propose. Jesus, why are you insisting on being baptized? Because it pictures my death and my burial and my resurrection in your place. So everybody listen for a second. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, all you have to hear is what I'm about to say. God has made a law, a rule, that all of us have sinned and we deserve His judgment, but He's so pleased with His Son that when He died on a cross, not as a sinner, but took all of our sins upon Himself, if you will, as you are sitting there right now, would just confess your sins and put your faith in Jesus' death on the cross as sufficient to please the Father and pay for your sins and give you His righteousness. I said, Jeff, you just said a lot. Let me boil it down. 
I'm a sinner. Jesus' death is sufficient. I really believe it. Father, I'm putting my faith in him right now. I receive your salvation. If you will do that, not me talking into it, but if you will do that, you become a Christian. You've been linked with Christ. His death, burial, resurrection counted for you. Now would you go back, Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. What's the third reason? So I said I'm progressing. He's endorsing John's ministry. He's associating with us, linking himself with us, and allowing us to be linked with him. He didn't need to do this baptism. But then again, he does. Would you look at verse 15? Because I think 15 has a key word. So John's resisting. Jesus is assisting. Verse 15. Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting. I think a key word is the word us. Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us. I think what Jesus is doing here is, John, us, me and you. It's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. This is necessary. So Jeff, why do you think Jesus insisted on being baptized? It was the means of identification. So Jesus knows You don't want to do this, but it is God's will, John, that you baptize me. Because when you baptize me, that's going to kick in motion two signs that will let you know. You are the forerunner. You're supposed to announce to people who the Christ is. Jesus knows he's the Christ. John, I I get it. You don't want to baptize me. You really need to do this, and you're going to do it. Because when you do it, Jesus knows. Then the Father's going to reveal a couple of ways you will know that I am the Christ. You're not going to know for sure. You have a little suspicion. You're not going to know for sure. Until you do this baptism, it has to be done. So it was a means of identification it was crucial and finally verse 15 says he consented and sure enough it kicked in motion a couple of things so John resisted but Jesus insisted and in verse 16 says the spirit anointed so the third thing we notice here is the spirit anointed John resisted Jesus insisted sure enough he gets baptized what happens the Holy Spirit anoints descends and remains on Christ the Bible says In fact, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. The heavens were open. I don't have time to spend on this, but can I? Some of you have experienced what I'm about to say. Do y'all know there's a whole realm going on around us right now? Do you know this is real? There are some of you, you've been in situations where you're just like, I am so fatigued, and it occurs to you, I think I'm being oppressed by the enemy or a strong temptation or you go into a group of people and they are just like have Satan all in their activity and you can sense it. And on the flip side, there's this good part as well. Because you're in the spirit realm, and by the way, we usually walk with the dictates of our eyes and we're in the spirit realm, but we don't usually give it attention. It's happening right here, right now. There are battles raging in this room. There are battles that were raging at people's houses and on the way over here this morning. Some folks didn't come today because they gave in. Others fought through it and you're like, I felt it this morning. And there are other times you you just get in a situation, you're like, God is here today. God is doing something. I just sense it. It's happening all around us, all the time. So what is puzzling is verse number 16 has a couple of pronouns. And you guys, as I read that earlier, if we were to poll you right now, you probably read it differently right here in the room. Who are these pronouns? By the way, there's a debate and some disagreement. Verse 16, and when Jesus was baptized, so John resists, Jesus insists, he finally baptizes. Jesus is baptized. Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. 
to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Who is him and he? So there's some of you that say, I think he, him and he is Jesus. Jesus saw this. And others of you say, wait, Jeff, I remember we read John a while ago. I think you already gave us a hint there. John saw this. Got some think this, some think that. Well, Jeff, what do you think? Great argument can be made for either one. Theologically, comparing John and Mark and Matthew and Luke. I don't know who else saw this. I know that John and Jesus saw this. So Jesus comes up out of the water. He begins to make his way out of the water just like everyone else. And the heavens literally are torn apart. And John is allowed to see what Jesus sees, which is the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and remaining on Jesus. It was crucial for John to see this. Why? What is this, what's the importance? I've been doing some threes and some twos already. I'm going to give you two more. Here we go. Why is the anointing of the Spirit so key? Number one, it was the signal to John of who the Christ is. This is what he was told. I'm told that who the Spirit descends on and remains, that's the one that I've been saying is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit, that I'm the forerunner of, and sure enough, it happens. Guys, this, that John understands this is so important that God gives him a visual revelation and in verse 17 he's going to give him an audible revelation of exactly who we're talking about. So what's the significance of the descending of the Spirit and remaining? It's John's cue to signal him exactly who is the Spirit. Who is, or who is the Christ? Who is even the Son of God? I believe John got more than he bargained for. He's the very Son of God. And the second thing why this anointing is important is because this event actually initiates Jesus' earthly ministry. This event initiates, I told you we were going to be in several passages. If you want to join us, you're going to want to see Luke chapter 4. Flip over to Luke 4. You're going to want to see it. This is down the road a little bit. This is after the baptism. Luke chapter 4. So the Spirit anointed, again, it's to cue John exactly who the Messiah is. Number two, it's going to initiate, kick off, launch, we could say, the earthly ministry. Till now, he's the carpenter's son. And a carpenter himself, maybe a good one, maybe an average one. Luke chapter 4, after the baptism, down the road, even after the temptation, we'll look at next week. Luke chapter 4, look at verse 16, talking about Jesus. And he came to Nazareth. Hey, I know that town. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So on Saturday, being a good Jew of his day, Jesus goes down to the synagogue just like he did when he was growing up. And watch this. Here he is, 30 years old. He stood up to read. So the Jews would stand to read the passage of Scripture. And then they would sit to teach. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. So this synagogue is really blessed. They have apparently some scrolls of scripture because they didn't have a completed Bible like this and turn in their Bible like this with chapter divisions and verse divisions. Jesus is given a scroll. Here, would you mind re- doing our reading today? Certainly, absolutely. There's a buzz about Jesus. He's been gone. He's come back to town. Here, would you read out of the Isaiah scroll? Again, there's a scroll. He's not flipping pages. There are no chapter divisions. Verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. He knows exactly where he's going. And he finds, what is it, uh, chapter 61, I believe, of Isaiah. He found the place where it was written, verse 18. Watch, here's Jesus. Picture him in the synagogue. The Spirit of the Lord 
is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. They're thinking kick Rome off. He's thinking the captives to sin. I have been anointed by the Spirit to preach these messages and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. It doesn't say it, but I'm pretty sure. Honey, what? Did you hear that? Yes. Have you ever heard anybody read like that? No. He must think that passage is talking about him. Unless there's any confusion. Verse 21, and he began. So he sits to teach. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He thinks, he read that like it. Oh no, I didn't read it like it is. This passage is talking about me. I've been anointed and now I'm about my ministry of proclaiming victory and healing and liberty. If you would, back to Matthew 3. John resisted. Jesus insisted. The Holy Spirit anointed. In verse number 17, God the Father commended His Son. He commended His Son. We will not spend long here. Behold, a voice. So Jesus coming up. John and Jesus know that the Spirit has descended on Christ and remained on Him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And that's why I believe in John 1.34 when John says that this is the Christ, the Son of God. Where does he get adding that? He heard it at the baptism the day before. He's been told by a voice from heaven that is none other than God. The same one who told him to look for the, the descending and the remaining of the Spirit also comes to him and lets it. By the way, how many people do you think heard this, Jeff? I don't know. I don't know if it was a dozen. I don't know if 50 people heard this. I don't know who all saw the heavens opened up. I know of two people who saw it and at least two people who heard it. John heard it and Jesus heard it. So how do you know Jesus heard it? Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse number 11. And a voice, here's Mark's version of the same event. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Matthew's version of this. A voice came from heaven. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. John heard one version of this. Jesus hears another version of this. Jeff, what's the purpose of this speaking voice from heaven? I think it's pretty clear. It's twofold. It's God the Father. This is God speaking to God. God the Father telling God the Son, you please me. You please me. I am so pleased. You are so well pleasing to me. So it's a commendation of the Father to the Son. But it's also a confirmation to the prophet that that is the Christ. So right before we leave and head to our second point today. Guys, that's got to make something evident. In Matthew 3 and John 1. Did you guys notice the public nature? I know I finished there last week. I return. John calls for internal repentance. Jesus will also, coming up, chapter 4, Jesus will call for internal repentance evidenced by a changed life and by public baptism. Please hear this. They're both, John and Jesus, calling for private, internal, no one knows you've done this, 
This isn't just saying some words. This is a true internal change of the mind about your sin. You really are broken. You're sorry. You know you've offended God. It is a change of mind about yourself. I can never do enough to earn my way to heaven. And it's acknowledgement I need a Savior. Very public though, after that internal part, now go get baptized. Go public. What is this baptism? It's a public confession that I'm a sinner. Listen to me. If you don't see yourself as a sinner, don't ever get in the baptismal waters. Because when you get in the baptismal waters, what you're saying is, I am a sinner, and I'm acknowledging this. Don't do it if you don't think you're a sinner. I've admitted that I've delayed baptisms. I've got new believers, and I don't baptism as, uh, baptize them as quickly as maybe we should. And I've, I've admitted, I may get to heaven and the Lord rebuke me. So, Jeff, why don't you do that? Why do you wait? I wait to try to ensure that no one confuses, hear this, no one confuses the moment of eternal life with the moment of water baptism. I don't want anybody to ever confuse that. Why? I wish what I'm about to say wasn't true, but I am I'm positive this is true. There are many people, and by many I don't mean Thousands, hundreds of thousands, I don't mean millions, guys. I mean billions of people have been baptized in water on earth who are now in hell. Billions of people. You say, Jeff, you can't seriously believe that. I absolutely believe it. Many. By the way, let me add to that. Not only are they been baptized and they're in hell right now, but some are church members. Hear this list. They've been baptized in water, but now they're in hell. But while on earth, they were church members. They were volunteers. They were tithers. They said prayers. Maybe they went on mission trips. They gave money for things. They were Bible readers and could quote verses. I just said some wonderful things about these people. Then, Jeff, why in the world would they be in hell? They lacked the one main thing. They didn't have trust and faith. They didn't have belief. Now, they got the baptism, and that's a good thing. And again, church members, volunteers, tithers, Saying prayers, giving, going, reading, memorizing, even sharing their supposed faith, but they never actually had faith themselves. They lacked the main thing. So, Jeff, what you're saying is that baptism is not important. I'm almost done with this point. Here. So you're saying it's not important. Oh, no, it is absolutely important. Baptism is so important that Jesus was an example, and he got baptized himself, and he didn't need it. Now, somebody needs to hear this. Baptism is important after you've trusted. Once you've trusted, it's very important. And when you're sharing your testimony with me, if I ask you, how do you know that you're going to live forever with God in heaven? Please don't ever tell me about the time that you got baptized. Don't link those together. That's why I delay. But if you have true faith, then you should be baptized. I have an honest question. I really have an honest question. I'm not being smart aleck. I'm not trying to pressure anyone why would any true believer refuse to follow Christ's example and Christ's command, outright command? He says, go into all nations, make disciples, and baptize them. Why would, you have the example of Christ. He didn't need it, but he calls for it. And you have his command, his demand. Why would any true believer? I'm really puzzled by that. I, 
I don't know who you are. Maybe you're here today, and here's my question. What are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? And maybe your thought is this. Hey, Jeff, I'm doing just fine following the Lord right now without having been baptized. Are you? Are you? Why do you get to pick and choose which commands and demands of Christ to obey? I would propose you are not doing just fine following the Lord. And I'll also say, we're not going to come to you. Hey, you ready to get baptized? You need to say, i got to get baptized. It's in the text. Back to chapter 3, number 2. We'll be more brief on this one. We have several passages to try to prove these points, but we'll be a little more brief. I said there are three baptisms. So look at verse number 11, and we'll find Jesus' baptism of believers with the Spirit. So Jesus is baptized with water by John. Now Jesus is baptizing believers with the Spirit. Verse 11. John says, I baptize with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Guys, John is a true prophet. What John predicts not only will happen, it did happen. So when did this happen? John was validated as a true prophet when Christ fulfilled this scripture of baptizing with the Holy Spirit. Go with me if you would. Hold your spot in Matthew. Go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Let's track this down. Let's see it. This will be an important section. Acts chapter 1. I hope you'll even track all of these passages down that we're going to give. I'm not going to spend long in them. Acts chapter 1. So here's the scene. Jesus died on the cross. He's been resurrected. He shows himself for 40 days to his disciples. At this point, I believe he's up in Galilee. So he's up in Galilee with his disciples up north. Verse 4. Watch it. And while staying with them, I believe in Galilee. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. Literally saying, okay, guys, you were in Jerusalem. I had you come up to Galilee. Now that you've been up here a little bit, I'm telling you, go back down to Jerusalem and watch what Christ says. Do not depart from Jerusalem. Go and stay there. But to wait. He says, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. Guys, it's literally down to days. We're going to be baptized with the Spirit? Yes, go stay in Jerusalem. Don't leave Jerusalem. It's coming. Skip down to verse number 8. They are now down in Jerusalem. There's been a gap of time. They're now down in Jerusalem. And Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. And he's going to tell them not only a reinforcement of the promise. He's going to tell them the purpose of the coming of the Holy Spirit. But you, he's telling his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. It's going to happen. It's just a few days from now. By the way, when he says verse 8, it is now going to be 10 days later. But now he tells them the reason is you're going to be empowered for service. You're going to be a witness to me. And then sure enough, John the Baptist's prophecy came true in Acts chapter 2, verse number 1. Look at Acts 2, 1. When the day of Pentecost, this is 10 days after chapter 1, verse 8. When the day of Pentecost, this is late May, early June. This is real time in the Jewish calendar. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. There was 120 of them. Notice what the Bible says. Look at that. Well, I could camp out here because these are kind of familiar verses to me, but I won't. Verse 2. And suddenly, suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing 
wind. You say, like a big old thing of wind came through? No, it sounded like wind. There's no wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues, cloven, split, like a flame. Like a flame licking, looks like a tongue, and it forks off. And divided tongues, as of fire, appeared to them. So there's this sound of wind, there's this appearance of fire that appeared to them and rested on each one of them, all 120. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. John says, I baptize in water. The one that's coming after me is going to baptize you with the Spirit. It's going to happen. Sure enough, it happened. John's a true prophet. So I'm going to take just a moment, all right? I did this about a year and a half ago when we were in Romans 8. I think that's how long ago. Some of you have heard this. You say, yeah, as you say it, it's familiar. Guys, I want to encourage you. If we will make a point in the next few minutes to truly hear what the Scripture says and not what Jeff says and not what you've heard, let's see what the Scripture says. Mark these references. Feel free to go home and really tear through them, dig into them, because there's a lot of information being thrown out there among the church, Big C, people saved around the world who have differences of opinion here. I'm not saying that we have a corner market on this truth, but I am saying I feel very confident that everything I'm about to tell you and have put on this screen is absolutely true. There may be more truth, but I'm confident what we're about to say. So we have these terms, I think three. By talking about the baptism of the Spirit in, John, in Matthew chapter 3, it introduces these three terms. Number one, what is the baptism of the Spirit? What does that mean? So if you want to follow, I want to invite you. Let's see, what does the Bible really say? Not just what people say. Guy on television. Guy on the radio. Guy down the street in another verse. Another church, Jeff. Doesn't matter what Jeff says. Let's find out what the scripture says. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 12. Talking about the baptism of the Spirit. What's the Bible word mean? Let's give it a Bible definition. Verse 12 of chapter 12. Are you there? What is the baptism of the Spirit? What's that about? I've heard people talk about it. Have you been baptized in the Spirit? Well, verse 12. For just as the body, that's yours, your body, is one. How many bodies you got? You say, I've got one. Okay. For just as the body is one and has many members, lots of members of your body, and all the members of the, one, of, of the body, though many, are one body, just one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, capital S, in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Just like your body is one body with a lot of different parts, it's the same in Christ, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. That's spirit baptism. That's it. So Jeff, okay, Tell me again, what does this mean? So let me say it, and then you can write it. Let's hear it first. According to this passage, all Christians are baptized in the Spirit. All Christians. It's not something we're waiting. Have you had the baptism of the Spirit yet? Yeah, got it in 1979. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, the, the, uh, nope, I've had the one that's in the Bible. Not man-made versions. All Christians are baptized in the Spirit. When? At the moment of faith, Here's the, you say, what does it mean? 
At the moment of faith, a person who is outside the body of Christ, over here is the body of Christ, all the saved people in the last 2,000 years who put their faith in Christ, they make up this many-membered one body of Christ. I'm outside the body of Christ in 1979, but I put my faith and trust in Christ in June of 1979. The Holy Spirit takes me and immerses me and plunges me in Himself as He unites all the people that are in the body of Christ. So I repeat, all Christians are baptized in the Spirit. It's at the moment of salvation. It's at the moment of faith. All of us who were outside the body of Christ are once, that's key, once and for all time immersed into the body. This is key. It's not in your notes. This is an act of God. It's an act of God for the purpose of uniting all believers, all the weakest saints, and all the strongest in the faith saints. The most like the world, true Christians, and those that are most like God, true Christians. All of us are in one body. The baptism of the Spirit places us in. It unites us all. There are some folks who try to teach it this way. The baptism of the Spirit separates the elite Christians who have elite gifts and they don't struggle with sin because they've been baptized with the Spirit. That's hogwash. That's what that doctrine's called. Hogwash. Okay? Bible baptism is all of us. You say, my faith's not real strong. Are you trusting Christ? Then you're in there. The second is also, if you would, is the indwelling of the Spirit. So we just looked at chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. Go to chapter 6, and you'll see it's very familiar, but it's different. By the way, I'll give my opinion here. I just made this my opinion just this week. I believe the indwelling of the Spirit is a result of the baptism of the Spirit. You understand that? Watch. The Spirit, all the believers are united in, in the Spirit. Christ does this. When he plunges us in the Spirit, I believe that's the same. Again, it's right there, same time, basically. That's the indwelling of the Spirit happens at the same time. You say indwelling, baptism, same thing. No, it isn't. Verse 19 of chapter 6. Or do you not know that your body... He's not talking about the body of Christ. He's talking about the body that you're sitting there in right now. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. Repeat. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. You say, well, I'm waiting to get the Holy Spirit. Well, are you not saved? You say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm waiting to get the Holy Spirit. This passage says to the Corinthians, do you not know that you are already housing, tabernacling, templing the Holy Spirit? Go back, one more proof text, Romans chapter 8, verse number 9. Very important one. As of A.D. 56, Romans 8, verse number 9, here's a fact. Paul says to Christians, you, however, are not in the flesh, not in the old way of sin. You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, and again, there may be someone listening to this today or later who says, well, I'm one of those Christians, I don't yet have the Spirit. Well, hold on, here's the Bible. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So you're not waiting. You say baptism indwelling isn't the same thing. No. Let's take, take a quick definition. What is this indwelling? It's the result of the baptism of the Spirit. So what does it mean? It is also immediate at the moment of faith. And it's all inclusive. All Christians, all true Christians are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean? It's where the Holy Spirit enters and permanently abides in the physical body of all believers. That's the indwelling. 
It's where in 1979, I go to camp. I don't have the Holy Spirit living in this body, a little, little smaller version of this body. Back then, nine years old. But I left camp that week with the Holy Spirit. I didn't even understand it, didn't know it. But the fact is, I, left, I went home that camp, spirit alive and possessed by the Holy Spirit. And I probably just made some unsaved person kind of weirded out. Like, now they're talking about possession, and I know I'm not coming back now. Those people are weird. They're talking about being spirit-possessed. Well, it's a fact. Can I wrap those two up this way? Watch. Baptism is all of us in Him. The indwelling is Him in all of us. That's different. So, Jeff, there's three terms. What's this third one? You already know where I'm going. It's the filling of the Spirit. It's the filling of the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5. I want you to notice, it's a very important verse. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18. You'll see it on the screen. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. Watch the second. Here's a Bible command. But be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled. Don't get drunk. Be filled with the Spirit. Now we'll have you go back to Acts. One more time. Acts 2. Just hitting it quickly. Acts 2. Watch verse 4. So what's this filling? Ephesians 5, we're told to be filled with the Spirit. By the way, you're never told to be baptized with the Spirit. That's something God does. You're not told to be indwelled by the Spirit. That's something God does. The filling is, you'll see it in Acts 2. God does this, verse 4, here at the initial outpouring, baptism, we could say even, indwelling. Verse 4, and they were all filled. This is 120 in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Flip over to chapter 4. Very quickly, flip over to chapter 4, verse number 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. The implication here is Peter was not filled with the Spirit before this. But he stands before the Sanhedrin, who's the enemies of Christ. And all of a sudden, at the moment that he needs it most, when he's really going to be a witness for Christ, just like Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, and he went and preached a message that nearly got him killed. Chapter number 4, look at verse number 31. Peter and John get out of prison. The Sanhedrin threaten them and they release them and they go to the Christians and they have a prayer meeting. Look what the Bible says when the prayer meeting is over. Acts 4.31 And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Did you catch it? This is legit, guys. Chapter 2, Peter and John are filled with the Spirit. Chapter number 4, verse 8, Peter gets filled with the Spirit again and starts speaking both times. And in chapter number 4, verse number 31, after prayer, Peter and all of them that are in that, they get filled with the Spirit again and continue. It always affects, it's, it's always linked to prayer and it's always linked to the tongue. Speech. Your, your speech changes when you get filled with the Spirit. So Jeff, what does it mean? The filling of the Spirit is where, where the person who's already indwelled, see, I already have them in me. But this is different. It's where the person who is already indwelled with the Holy Spirit becomes fully controlled by the Spirit and empowered for service. Guys, listen. This is not permanent. Baptism is permanent. Baptism of the Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit is permanent. Being filled with the Spirit is not permanent. We are commanded to do this. That's your indication. If it were permanent, then why are we told to be filled? Why did Peter, why did he have these multiple fillings of the Spirit? Guys, can I say this? You can do this. You can do this. 
You can be filled with the Spirit. You say, then what would it be like? Let me be clear. It is not an out-of-the-body experience. Hey, I think I was filled with the Spirit. It's not an out-of-the-body experience where you have no clue what happened. Then what is it, Jeff? The filling of the Spirit. Close your eyes just for a moment. So I want you to hear this. The filling of the Spirit is inviting the Holy Spirit to control you. You literally could do this right now. But it doesn't just stop with an invitation. Like to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you just control me fully? But it's accompanied by this. You inviting Him to control you fully while surrendering to His thoughts. And His feelings. And His actions. It literally is this. Holy Spirit, would you just take over? Now, what are the thoughts? Oh, whoa, I've been having the wrong thought. Yes, what are your thoughts? And he changes your thoughts. What are your feelings? I've been feeling anxious or angry or mad or unforgiving or lustful or proud. Well, no, when you're filled with the Spirit, you stop doing those things. You start having his feelings, his thoughts, his actions. Guys, you can do that. You can do this right now. You can do it tomorrow. You can do it next week. It sounds real simple. I'm going to be honest with you. Not many people do it. Matthew 3. And then the shortest one, obviously. I know my time. Jesus is baptized with water by John. Jesus baptizes believers with the Holy Spirit. And then there's this third baptism of Christ, which is Jesus' baptism of unbelievers with fire. It's Jesus' baptism of unbelievers with fire. Verse 11, I baptize. John says, I baptize, baptize you with water for repentance. He is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Yes. And fire. Now I realize some really good people would disagree, and I didn't really settle on this till this week. Jeff, don't you think that is the Holy Spirit and fire is kind of one in the same, two sides of the same coin. When the Holy Spirit comes in, he purifies us. Don't you think that's the fire that we're talking about? Guys, I, I try to use the context principle, and if you'll look at verses 10, 11, and 12, each one of these verses, all three verses have the word fire in them as the last word in them. Uh, I told you, be at the spot so you can look at it. So verse 10, Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's not a good thing. Verse number 12, He will gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Verse number 11, tucked between that, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I believe the context is saying this is the fire of judgment. Verse 10, fire. Verse 11, fire. Verse 12, fire. So in other words, if I could say it plain, every person here this morning, all of us are in one or the other of these two groups. All of us. John's a true prophet. All of us will be in one of two groups. Either you are baptized with the Spirit in this life, or you will be baptized with fire in the next life. There's no escaping that. One or the other is going to happen. Here's the key. Remember what baptized mean. It means to be immersed in. So if I could make it a little more plainer. Every person here today who has ever or ever will, if you haven't even done it yet, you have time right now. Every person who puts their full faith and trust in Jesus' death on the cross to count for them, they will be baptized in the Spirit. They all will be. 
But every person who has even a little bit of trust in themselves to get themselves to heaven by being a church member and reading their Bible and giving money and volunteering and stopping saying bad words and trying to be a better mom or a dad, everybody who has even a little of that thinking, God, you're seeing this, you're going to help me get to heaven. If you have that, you will be immersed in fire all around you for eternity. And I wish I didn't have to say that, but it is true. God will punish all attempts at works for salvation. John is a true prophet. If verse, verse 11 happened, Jesus baptized with the Spirit, and verse 11 at the end will happen as well because John is a true prophet. Let me check my time. Okay. Can I share what's sad, guys? Most Americans... This was reiterated. Uh, Anderson University is on spring break. So most of our college students are not here this morning. Deanna was able to speak in chapel. One of our young ladies that attends our church was at that chapel and said as she was walking out, she heard a group of her fellow students set, talking about Deanna and said, can you believe she, she thinks people will literally go to hell? <laughs> Why is that? Most modern Americans do not conceive of hell as a literal place. Most don't. Fifty years ago they did, not today. Why? I'll offer the following as one of the reasons. Most national speakers, in fact, I'll say it this way, few national preachers preach on hell as a literal place. Here's why. When you preach only topically, by the way, we do lots of topical things on Wednesday night. When you only preach topically, Jeff, what does that mean? Preaching on the home, finances, relationships, prayer, Bible reading, being, you know, you know holy living. When you only preach, are you against that? No, those are great topics. But when you only preach topically, you can purposely or unconsciously avoid the uncomfortableness of hell preaching. But if you attempt to go through a book of the Bible expositionally, I promise you, give it time, you will come up on it. You can't escape it. Why? God is serious about sin. God will punish sin way more severely than we think He will. Maybe you need to hear this this morning. You. God is not playing games. If verse 11, at the end of it, this baptism with fire does not occur, then the whole Bible's a lie and we might as well go home. You're saying, no, too many things have been proven true. These prophecies just keep coming true. Absolutely. You say, it rings true in my heart. The Bible says stuff and it just, it, it's, it's what happens in my life. Absolutely. So will the latter part of verse 11. It will happen. Who's going to do this? Jesus, specifically. It won't even be God the Father. Jesus will do this. He will put people who were unbelievers who refused his sacrifice on the cross and they had in their mind that they could be good at that is so offensive to him he will punish that this is very serious language these unfruitful trees being burned in fire this chaff being burned in the fire separate from the wheat and this baptism of fire this literal immersion in it this is serious stuff so guys here's our passage today God the Father and God the Holy Spirit made it very clear. Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, 
the Son of God, the only Savior, proved it by descending on Him and announcing from heaven, made it very, very clear. Jesus linked Himself with us so much so that He made a law that my death on the cross will count for you. If you let my death on the cross count for you, you will escape the baptism in unquenchable fire that is coming to most of the people in the world. You say, well, I'm glad I've escaped that. Wonderful. Why do you think you have? Do you have a Bible reason? Tell yourself right now, why do you think you're going to heaven? If you started with, well, one time I got baptized and I'm a member, and Jeff, I've been coming for a long time. Stop it. You're going to be baptized with fire. Do you have a Bible reason? Heads bowed, eyes closed just for a moment. A major lesson. God always keeps his word. He said he would baptize with the Holy Spirit, and he did. He says he will indwell with the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you guys. This is not about me, but I can promise you, I have experienced the evidence of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I have experienced it. Have you? Have you? To be more blunt, when did you repent? When did you change your mind about your sin being way worse than you thought? When did you repent that you are not good enough? When did you have that conversation with God and confess, God, I'm a sinner? When did you do that? If you've never done that, when did you repent and have a new way of thinking that Jesus is sufficient? If you can't remember a time, then it didn't just happen. And I don't care who your grandmother or your grandfather or how great they were or where they pastored. That is not going to get you to heaven. Maybe you say, well, my mom or daddy told me that when I was X amount of years old, i got to ask you, sitting there right now, are you trusting Christ and Him only? Are you trusting what your mom said about you? The baptism of the Spirit is real. The baptism in fire will be real as well. I'll just do it one more time. We'll not do this every week. If you've never repented of your sins, I can promise you. The Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you'll right now confess, bring God into your sphere of awareness and talk directly to God. Right now, God, I'm a sinner. I'm a little scared this morning. But I believe. I believe in Jesus. God, I'm a sinner, but I'm asking you, based off your promise, will you forgive me? If you'll ask him, I promise he will forgive you. You have to know he'll forgive you. Do it so boldly, so confidently. God, I'm asking you to forgive me. And I'm even thanking you for forgiving me of my sins. I want that baptism and dwelling of the Holy Spirit. Just before we sing, Christian, you've been baptized into Christ. We're one body. We're one body. We're for each other. We help each other. We hurt with each other. We rejoice with each other. This week we had a family of ours in Disney World every day this week. And we had another with a major surgery. We're together. We don't envy you. We're four. Did you forget that this week? Christian, can I remind you, your body, the one you're sitting there in, yes, that one right there is God's special temple. I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit... If there is sin in his temple, he would reveal it to you right now. And that you'll just confess it and say, Lord, make me clean. Forgive me of that. I receive your forgiveness. Lord, I'm going to forsake it. I want your temple to be clean.
Spirit, would you fill us? Let us right now invite you as we surrender to your thoughts and feelings and actions. And Lord, if there's one that it's time they need to be baptized, ask them, you do it, not me. What are you waiting on? And give them the boldness to go public for Christ, acknowledging not just their sinfulness, but their profession of faith in Jesus as Lord.